This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by former United Academy products, Phil Marsh, to talk over the summer and preview the Premier League season, which is upon us this weekend. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get, get your comments and questions in live. If you're watching the replay, say hello. Feel free to comment. We do reply to the comments. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, be sure to like and subscribe on the platform you're listening on. Um, Phil, it's been a few weeks. How's it been for you? Yeah, all good, mate. Um, as I say, um, I'm finally on my cast now for those that have been um, following my injury updates. So I'm back on my feet. I'm sort of doing well with the physio, strengthening my leg up again. Um couple of weeks away probably from getting back involved in, in some light training and stuff. Um but yeah, feeling good. Obviously looking forward to the start of the season. It's been felt like a, a long time. Um especially you know being cooped up and you know not being able to do much myself. Really looking forward to the sort of football coming back. Um and yeah, really optimistic looking looking forward to a good season ahead. So not not retired just yet. You're not quite retired. no I'm 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 still you know, I'm still hanging on in there just about. Um, I, I'm hopeful that I can, you know, have another year at least, maybe two, and, and you know, keep going as long as I can. And I know I'll miss it when I finally do hang my boots up. So just want to keep going until um, my body sort of tells me that that's the, the end of the road. Thanks, uh, James. Comment. He says, good to see you both. Well, that's um, buzzing for Monday. Yes, us as well, I'm sure. And before we begin, I am going to be hocking a couple of books today. The first one to talk about is um, this one, United, Sir Alex and me, is Ray Mullenstein's autobiography. Um, Phil, you're actually mentioned in the book. Um, Ray speaks about you. Um, he speaks about a number of the kids that he played with, particularly from that reserve side in 2006-07. Um, t- tell me a little bit about Rennie as a coach. Obviously, I'm not here to massively promote the book, I just give um, Rennie a bit of a shout out, um, in terms of you know what he was as a coach, what he contributed, any lessons that he left with you that, um, that, that you carry with you. 
Yeah, Ren, I mean, for me, Rennie was probably, you know, one of the best coaches, managers that I ever worked with. Um, just in terms of, you know, his, his knowledge of the game, the way he sort of uh, spoke to you, uh, his, his detail and his attention to detail, should I say. Um, I think for me personally, um, when I first joined the club and I came into the academy, um, I only briefly met Rennie a few times. I think he was... Um, sort of someone who would dip in and out of, of different age groups and work on technical stuff, you know, like your fast feet and just manipulating the ball and stuff. Um, but really liked him from from the sort of first time I met him. And then uh, as I was lucky enough to, to sort of go through the ranks and went in full time, um, started to, you know, see a lot more of him and, and work with him a little bit more um, and, and just sort of, you know, grew, grew more fonder of him as time went by. I think he's... You know, an exceptional coach. He 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 knows you know everything there is to know really about the game. Um, he's worked with some of the best players in the world. Obviously, what he did with Cristiano, um, you know, transformed his game and and sort of you know took him to the next level. Um, but also did that with a lot of the younger players as well, um, who maybe never went on and hit the heights as as much as Cristiano. But I think for me, I I really had a massive respect with Rennie because. Um, when when I sort of got into the reserve team um, and he was managing, uh, Rennie was somebody who I sort of, you know, always, if I ever had any problems, sometimes as, as a player, you, you feel as though you can't speak to your coach or your manager um, about certain things that you maybe feel a little bit unsure on or uncomfortable about. But for me, because of the way Rennie was and, and the relationship that we had, um, you know, I was, you know, always open and, and really honest and had you know numerous occasions where I've I'd spoke to Rennie about certain situations or certain parts of my game where I felt I could improve or that I wasn't maybe doing what he wanted and you know he, he took me to the next level and, and sort of you know anytime I was unsure he, he would certainly put your mind at ease and as I said not only a great coach uh, a great person still keep in touch with Rennie uh, to this present day um, and as I say, you know, can't really speak much uh, more highly of him. And, and you know, he's, he's, his book, I'm sure, is going to be a great success. And I actually will look forward to reading that, um, I'm sure, in the in the coming months. Yeah, he is. Um, one thing that I got, and obviously I'm a fan, like, I know I write, but I'm a fan first and foremost. And I love United, like, that. I don't think that's in any question, hopefully, um, with the way that I speak about the club. But one thing that I got from working with Rennie, and I, I hoped that this would be the case, but you can't always take it for granted, is that I would get a, a better understanding of um, what makes United take the mechanics behind everything, you know, in terms of like the, the tactics, the philosophy on the training ground, how that manifests itself into game scenarios and everything like that. And not only did I get that, he broke it down in a way that was so accessible for me to understand from someone who's never played the game professionally for him to sort of explain it in a way that made me completely connect with it and obviously it was things that I could relate to as well because I'm a United fan and I, I see and identify all these things and I think I wonder if that's the way it is so for him to sort of explain a lot of it and for it to be that way in many cases and, and in other cases sometimes it wasn't that way but there was another explanation for it and he would explain that I, I just curious as that I'm, I'm 
like I said, I'm talking about me as a fan. Was that what it was like as a player for you? Like he, he, yeah. he was able to see pictures that make pictures on the pitch more clear and things like that. One hundred percent, I think. And what a great trait that Rennie had was. Um, as I say, every, every player is different. Um, so you, you can't maybe what may work for one player might not work for another player. And I think Rennie was such a good coach that he knew um, and that he could identify basically, you know, ways of, of putting things across to, to different players and, you know, making them making it make sense basically to, to everybody, but doing it in different ways. And he would he would always have time for you know, collectively, but individually as well. And I think that's why we were so successful and why a lot of players um, had a lot of respect for Rennie in particular, because he took the time out and he would do extra, you know, after training, he would go out and do stuff with you. Um, he would always come and sit next to you in the canteen and just talk about, you know, football and, and just, you know, wanting to, you know, basically find out more about, you know, what, what your strengths and weaknesses were and how he could, you know, help. And I think... That that was you know what Rennie was there for what what he did and as we've seen you know he's done it with you know some of the best players around the world and for me he, he's a fantastic coach and I think that boils down to having the full skill set there's a lot of great coaches out there who are you know technically very good and know all the um, you know jargon to put across to the players but also having the man management skills and being able to put it across to to everybody. Um, in certain different ways is, is you know, a, a skill that, you know, not everybody has and, and Rennie certainly had that. And as I say, he was a, a brilliant part of the club for uh, the period that he was there. Yeah, uh, completely agree. And, you know, there will be people. And there are people still, you know, saying that, you know, um, Rennie should still be a part of the club. He, he's got a lot of knowledge about the club and it'd be wise to pass that on. And I agree. Um, he's obviously busy at the moment, but um, either way, you know, if he does or doesn't become part of the club again in the future, one thing I can say about him is that his contribution to the club is extremely significant. And yes, I'm, sh you know, I'm shilling the book a little bit, but um, it's worth a read. It really is because um, it's fascinating the way they talk about football, the way they make it easy to understand. Said so I, I finished writing it and thinking, do you know what? I might fancy trying to be a coach. Uh, I've scratched that itch. I'm going to do that. I'll, I'll focus on writing books about it anyway. But um, most people will probably come away, especially if you're a bit younger than me or if you've got an inclination of wanting to get into coaching, you probably read it and think, you know what, I could probably try and implement some of that United style. Um, but like I said, some about that is about the articulation. You yeah. will know this from your own kind of um, background. Well, not even background, what you're currently doing, with working with the kids and stuff like that. Is all about teaching. Is all about the articulation of that message, and that that's obviously something that comes in a variety of different ways. And it's not really about your ability to articulate that message. It's about your ability to articulate it in a number of different ways that different people can access it. And that's where the success of a, a great teacher or, or trainer comes in, like Rennie. Um, so yeah. Yeah, just just so. off the back of that as well, Wayne, just just one obviously story that I, I would want to share as well with you. Um, you. You'll probably know this, but um, at the time as well, when I was in the reserves, um, Rennie was the manager and we had quite a few injuries. Um, obviously, I was a striker or a, a forward attacking player. 
we had quite a lot of injuries at this moment in time and, and Rennie actually pulled me and asked me at this particular point, would I, would I mind playing right back and, and go and playing as a defender? Now, <clears throat> for me, depending on who that had came from, it would have been probably a completely different answer. Um, I, I got asked by Rennie and the way he put it across to me was, you know, not can you just come and play right back because we've not got no players. He he put it across to me as listen. He said we've we've obviously got you know players out and players missing, but I think that you've got the skill set that you can come into that role and just as a sort of you know stopgap play in that position because I think you know you're quick, you're good with the ball, you can you can ping it, you can get up and down, and because of the way he put it across to me, I sort of didn't really sort of give it a second thought. I just thought Do you know what. Yeah, I'll go with it. I respect Rene. And if he thinks I can do it, I'm going to give it a shot. And for me, obviously, I was a little bit anxious because obviously being an attacking player, I've been attacking all, all my sort of career. I've never really played in a defensive capacity. I was a little bit worried at, you know, my defensive cover and where I should be at certain times and maybe being exposed a little bit 1v1. Um but because of the way Rennie was and, and sort of the players he had around me as well, you know, he had good players. I was playing with, you know, Paul McShay and Johnny Evans, good lads who, who would, you know, help you out with that and, and sort of, you know, advise you and encourage you. Um, but that that little story is, is sort of just highlighting again of how much of a um, respect and sort of the way Rennie had that, um, you know, mentality of, of, of putting things across to players that, you know, even in, in something that I probably wouldn't have, you know, wanted to do or felt comfortable doing because of the way um, he was with with everybody, really, as, as players and, and, you know, the way he man-managed everybody, that I, I, I sort of stepped into that role and, and sort of did really well. And, you know, he, I remember actually my first game, I got man of the match against Leeds, played right back and played really well. And he, he sort of, you know, instilled... Um, you know, even more confidence in me, and I, and I sort of did that role for a few months until some of the players ended up coming back. And again, that was a, another, um, you know, part of my career where I look, you know, I've played in a different position there. I've learned the game a little bit more. I've seen a different side to the to the game. Obviously, being used to playing with your back to goal and, and sort of as a centre forward now, and playing, you know, with the pitch all in front of you, different ideas, different challenges. Um, and as I say, you know, that's that's you know, been a, a, a great, you know, little learning curve for me and, and seeing a different perspective and position. And that was obviously thanks to, to Rennie and having that trust and belief in me to do it. Yeah, um, yeah, Rennie, good man, great coach. Uh, let's move on to what we're talking about this week. It's the opening weekend of the Premier League season. Um, as you know, we're usually with Lee on, on Friday nights. Not here today, so it makes the job of picking the um, thing for, for our, the topic for our next topic a little bit easier, or, or our choice from the next topic, I should say. So um, I think we did this at the start of last season, but it's always good to refresh it. I don't think, I can't remember, I'm trying to think, oh yeah, the first day of last season was Brighton at home, but I don't think that's going to make it onto the list. But um, our best opening day in Premier League history, I thought we'd have a bit of a topic uh, with this, and... Like I said, Lee's not here, so his choice is um, null and void. And um, I'm not going to go first and pick it from you, um, Phil. So 
when you're thinking about the best Premier League opening weekend in a Manchester United context, what's the the best one? What's the first one that springs to mind for you? Um, as I say, we we have all spoke about this offer, um, and uh, for me, it was it was a no brainer. Um, Ninety six, you know, that was the year that I was lucky enough to join the club. I was eleven, and that was when I got picked up. Um, so prior to that. I never really supported anyone as such. I love football. Um, I started playing a little bit more. I played for Wigan Athletic. Um, I obviously followed the Premier League and stuff. Um, but then obviously joining Man United at the age of 11 um, and, you know, getting all the kit and feeling part of it, that was sort of me, you know, signing myself up there to, to be a, a Man United fan moving forward. And obviously in 96, watching, um, you know, that opening game, David Beckham, the iconic goal um, against Wimbledon uh, from the halfway line. I think you know that that for me was um, you know a, a a goal that sort of is still played to this day, and, and rightly so because of the technical ability, the awareness, um, and yeah, I think you know for me, as I said, it was you know I just joined the club. It was an iconic goal. I, I just sort of you know started following the club as as a proper supporter, if you like. Um, I just sort of probably got me my first Merlin Premier League book, which I used to love collecting the stickers for in school. Um, so yeah, I, th- I just think that that goal and, and you know being me the, the first sort of year at the club and everything that came with it. I think you know scoring a goal of that magnitude and you know it, the way the way that sort of Beckham sort of catapulted his career on on all fronts really after that goal. Um, and being lucky enough to sort of, you know, see some of them players, you know, your Coles, your, your, your Beckhams and, you know, all the younger players, Class of 92, were breaking through at that point. It was it was outstanding and, and a goal that obviously sticks out for me um, more than more than most. Yeah, I remember the couple of other goals. goal in that game was pretty good. The start, he takes it down, leathers it in, and then Irwin's, Irwin's the other goal, isn't he? He scores from the angle. Yeah, um, and I think that was too early thinking that's it, um, and that that would have been good enough then. Um, but yeah, Beckham. I, when I was doing the research for the book on Beckham, obviously I spoke to you about it as well. I think I must have spoken to you about it. But um, there was the goal he scored against. Um, I think it was Bury in the reserves a couple of years earlier, where he done it from the halfway line. And so no one from that kind of group was was surprised he'd done yeah. something like that it was the kind of thing that he would do. Uh, but to do it on a Premier League on the Premier League stage. And at that time, ninety six, I think Pele had tried to do it in the seventy World Cup and it hadn't come off. And I know since then there's probably been three or four. Charlie Adam did one, Chevy Alonso and I know probably a couple of others. Um but I, there's nothing quite like that first one is there. It's the execution as well. The arrogance to try it and the clean strike on the ball, and for it to go in before it drops, uh, before it bounces, and everything like that. The the aesthetic yeah. of the goal still it's makes it the best. Do you know what I actually found funny about that goal as well? I only I only sort of realised a couple of years later was when he scores the goal, um, he celebrates with Brian McClure, doesn't he? Uh, and then years later, I, that I need because obviously when I ended up going full time, obviously Brian McClure was my coach and you know, in the reserves and stuff. And then I never actually realised that until years later. And I, I ended up seeing it like a couple of years later and I was like, 
oh my god, Chuck, he's actually like still playing. Because I, I, being a young kid then, obviously not knowing how late McClure played up until, um, it was just funny seeing it and watching it back and thinking, Chuck, he was um, in there with the, one of the, the you know Premier League's probably greatest goals. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know if you've ever talked to him about it. He claimed the assist for that because he lays the ball off to Beckham. And he also, yeah. there's a later goal that season, um, Sunderland, the Cantona chip against Sunderland and McClare took yeah. that one up to the top as well. Yeah. And then he makes the joke, but the two greatest assists yeah. in Premier League history. Um, <laughs> he got a point, to be fair. Um, yeah. Robbie says uh, he remembers the 4 0 against Chelsea, which is 2019 20. Yeah, do you know what? That slipped all from my mind, but that was a great day. That was a, just after um, Ollie had signed the three players and Dan James from the bench and Pogba was electric on, in, in that game. I remember Rashford was brilliant as well. Just thought this was a different kind of United, but um, unfortunately, a bit of a false storm with that. There was other choices. I think Lee was going with the, the Leeds one, wasn't he? The 5 1, where Rafa Varane was paraded before the game. Um, and I was thinking as well, there are some others. I mean, even the ones we didn't win, I'm memorable in a way. There's the Beckham goal from Villa Park, where, and you know, a year earlier, um, yes, we lost 3 1, but that was the you can't win anything with kids game, and everyone can remember that uh, for, for a multitude of reasons. And the defeat doesn't sting as bad, really, because we had gone to win the league, and it's so iconic in what it went on to represent. Um, and then there's another Beckham goal. Um, before the well, right at the start of the 98 99 season, when uh, we were 2 0 down and he, he scored, and he was getting loads of stick after the, the World Cup and everything like that. Um, there was a game where I think Van Nistelrooy's debut against Fulham, he scored a couple of goals against Van der Sar of all goalkeepers. Um, and other than that, was it just after Beckham left Ronaldo's debut? Um, which was very memorable for different reasons. Well, I think we, it was Bolton, we beat 4-0 or something, 3-0. 3 or 4 nil. Geeks scored a free kick, I remember, because they were saying it's the first free kick after Beckham and all that sort of stuff. Beckham features quite heavily, as you can tell, in all of these. Um, maybe even Beckham... Um, Beckham might have scored a free kick in the Fulham game where Van Nistelrooy... I think he did. I think he did. Um Robbie says we backed 4 0, uh, Bolton 4 0. I think that's the Ronaldo one that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, I think it is anyway. I might, I might be wrong. Jay says, How are you guys doing? Hope you're all right, Jay. Says, um, In this case, window, I feel fine as we are right since then. We'll get to the transfers in a moment. Um, just close on the opening day thing. I think my favorite um, of, of this selection from the Premier League. Um, Although I, I like 93-94 because I liked winning against Norwich because uh, I think Robbo and Giggs scored in that game. Was it, right? it might not have been Robbo. I'm sure it was. Um, Giggs scored anyway. I remember just like feeling buzzing because we were on a run of wins and it was good to start that season. After we'd won the league, we started the season well after being so terrible the start of the previous one. But the one that I, I picked out for, for my favourite was the 5-1 after the 2006 World Cup against Fulham. And I don't know if you remember Phil at all. Well, you will. You were there. You were. The, you were definitely at the club at the time. Um, and that was the Ronaldo Rooney kind of thing after the World Cup. They were saying, "Are they going to get on?" Um, that all the speculation was that Ronaldo was going to leave over the summer. Fergie quickly put that one to bed and said, "It's nonsense. They're going to play 
everyone's still wondering how are they going to get on and in the first game they were unbelievable for that first 20 minutes and we were like after 20 minutes from this yeah it was well definitely four by half time we absolutely destroyed and we were it was unbelievable football in that first half and i remember thinking that even then, because we started seasons quite slowly in, in those days, and Fergie was kind of like, I really want to get the start right, because Chelsea changed the sort of yeah. pattern. You know, you could start seasons slowly before then, but Chelsea got all the money and you couldn't afford to slip up, so yeah, it had to start strongly. And it was such a, an emphatic statement, um, and some of the goals were, were breathtaking, and it just felt like, I know we'd won the League Cup the season before, but that was the moment when it felt like this is the start of a new United cycle. It was it was unbelievable that game. Um, oh, let's talk about transfers then, Phil. Um, before we talk about, um, we'll move on to a couple of other topics. Obviously, we are going to preview Wolves as well, but let's talk about the transfers um, overall in terms of what we've done. I think it's been a, another fairly ruthless summer. I thought Senag was ruthless last summer. To be fair, I thought he did a lot of um, activity that was as ruthless as you could expect, because I think throughout the season, what he's done is he's been fair to all the players he's kept around. Everyone can say, apart from Van der Beek, but he think he could probably say that over his career at United, he has, he has had a fair go at it. He's just not up to it for whatever reason. It's not right for him. Um, everyone else has had a really fair go at it. Everyone had a fair running the team. They've had a fair chance to show what they can do. But when Tenog's made decisions, he's been so swift and so decisive about it that no one can really complain because he hasn't left people in the dark. There's been no stringing along. It's been swift. It's been decisive. That player's had the option to contribute and, and play the way back into I mean, Maguire, for example, has had lots of chances. All of the midfield had plenty of chances. The chance was there for them to grab an opportunity and play their way back into form. And, and Ten Hag has been fair all the way through, and, and this summer he's been exactly the same way. I mean, some of the players have moved on already, um, well, a fair fair amount, more than your average share, I would have thought, you know, the way that he's gone through. And he's, he's dealt with the incoming players. They're clearly the players that he wanted to bring in, and now he's got those three in. He's sort of now making moves for those players to go out to make room for any late additions in the window, which I really think is, as well, I know the takeover talk is one thing, and that hopefully should be sorted at some point. Regardless of that, in, in keeping with the conditions that he's had, I think he's done everything as well as we could expect. And I'm talking the timing of the moves and the personnel in terms of the people who come in and the people who wants to move on. I think he's got everything bang on so far. Um, and, and Robbie's just posted here that Howard Nurse is just saying that Fred's gone there confirmation of that because he was, he was close to a move to Fenerbahce and I don't think, again, anyone's going to say that he hasn't had his chance. Um, Phil, what would you rate, rate the transfer market? For United? Yeah, no. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, no, I, I agree totally with you. When I think, as you say, he's, he's acted really swiftly and, and the signings that we have brought in are uh, really good additions. I think, firstly, you know, you look at Mason Mount coming in nice and early. I think he bolsters the midfield. I knew there was going to be a couple of players um you know, moving on and I think obviously the way Ericsson sort of finished the season I knew that maybe we needed, you know, to strengthen that area. I think Mount obviously may not have uh, had the best pre-season in terms of, you know, output, in terms of goals and assists or anything, but I think for me what he will bring is a lot of energy. Um, he's different to sort of the, the players that we've had previously. I think he can carry the ball and I think for me, you know, once he starts bedding in and finding his feet a little bit more, um, we will see the, the, the best of him. Um, the keeper situation, obviously sad to see De Gea go in the way that he did. I think obviously it was it was the right time um, for me. I think the goalkeeper situation needed addressing, um, and and you know bringing on Arna and now I think is is a step forward. I think his distribution and the way he sort of you know commands his box in terms of you know acting as a sweeper and he can distribute the ball really well and he's comfortable will just make us a lot more settled and, and um, you'll have that calming effect, hopefully, um, on, on the defend, defenders and, you know, being able to set attacks off as well from, from deep positions. I think he's got great, um, you know, balls that he can he can ping out. Um, the only sort of shadow on that is maybe looking at, you know, obviously how we will deal with some of the uh, more physical uh, elements of the Premier League and, you know, balls into the box Um that kind of thing. Obviously, you got lobbed against uh, Lens the other day, which you know can happen. I don't think it's something that we need to get worried about. I think that's the way he plays, and you've got to give credit to the the, the lad. It was a great finish. It was our mistake, and you know sometimes that can happen when you play the way he does. But I think obviously he's a great signing, and that will one hundred percent improve us. Um, and then obviously you look at Hoyland, the young lad who's came in as the striker for me. Obviously, a great signing for the future. Um, got a lot of potential. Um, not really seen abundances of you know footage and games of of him. But what I have seen, I do like. I think he's obviously, as I say, young. He's hungry. He looks like he's the type of player that Ten Hag wants. Um, and yeah, I think you know, obviously, when he does get himself fit and in the team, you know, hopefully he can hit the ground running. My only concerns are with obviously bringing him in is it's going to be a lot of pressure. Uh, this is why obviously I was sort of banging the drum about maybe, you know, taking Kane on a late deal and bringing that in. And I think that would have been the sort of cherry on the cake for me. Um, just in terms of, you know, it takes a bit of pressure off Highland. You've got two centre forwards that you can, you know, you can sort of rely on. You've got guaranteed goals. Um, and I think the way that sort of someone like a Harry Kane potentially would have played would have suited us really well. You know, the way he drops in and you've got your likes of Rashford and Ganacho making them runs in behind. I think that would have been a, a a brilliant addition for us. However, you know, we've seen stranger things. I don't know whether it, he, last last the scene he was, you know, Bayern Munich's player, but 
you know, obviously we've seen with Caicedo with the, the Liverpool deal, things have, have happened there and maybe, you know, there is potential for United to bring in another striker. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall at the minute with, with what's happened, the ingoings and outgoings are looking really good. Um, and yeah, looking forward to the start of the season. Yeah, um, Robbie says, and it is it's right, just double-checked. No, that, I doubt you, Robbie. He says United just announced the, the Fred transfer as well, uh, which it'll be a shame for, but the right move for him, for United, I think it's um, about time. I don't think he let anyone down at United, and I think, if anything, for a lot, I can remember a long time, Mourinho brought him in and never really played him, and then he was left to Solskjaer to find a role for him. And he did, I mean, that were the midfielders until Casemiro came in was probably the best of, of the bunch that we had. Um, yeah, all right, not always consistent and not always the best on the ball, but until Casemiro, I was probably the best of, of those bunch in, in there. So, um, with him the best, obviously, and a great character to have around and obviously well liked at the club, um, popular guy. Um, so I, I want to ask you about the transfer activity as well in terms of. The dilemma that it presents for the young players because everyone gets enamored by what's going on and the merry-go-round and who's going to come in and who's going to go out and and the players who are there particularly those who go on tour they're left with this opportunity to kind of impress um obviously there was a, there were a bunch of lads who like, played on since a couple of friendlies who probably won't expect to be around the first team but a couple of them will Cobby Main being the best example of this, but obviously he picked up an injury in one of the, the preseason games. Ten Hag said before he was going to keep him around and not send him on loan. Um, I'm just wondering from from your point of view. I was going to use Lee as an example here because he was he just won the Youth Cup. I remember we signed Hein that maybe a year after, you know, when he was hopefully looking to make that breakthrough into the first. But I, I, I can use you as a comparison as well because around the time that you were sort of well, you'd had your injury and you were coming back and we had this period where we signed Sahar in January, we signed Smith in May, and then we signed Rooney in August and we already had run this story there and, and Solskjaer as well. We had all these players that's played these forward positions. And yeah, all right, that's part of the process of what comes with being United. I'm just wondering from uh, a youngster's point of view who's been preparing for the new season and they're hearing all these names come in and obviously... There can be exciting times for these players coming in. Is it disheartening somewhat for the, the kids? I'm I'm trying to remember early uh, an early example of a season in a season of a player getting an opportunity after doing well on preseason. And the one that springs to mind is Fraser Campbell in 2007, but that was because Ronaldo was suspended. I think Rooney was either suspended or injured for a little bit. And he hadn't signed Tevez, so Campbell was actually, he, he had a run of games in there. And all right, he was in there as a sort of make-way until those other players came in. But it was an opportunity. You would hope when Manu comes in, it's not just because Katamiro's out or something, that he's getting proper time to play alongside these players. And from a young player's point of view, Phil, are they likely to be thinking, um, you know, when, when seeing players coming in, are they hoping that, someone's not going to come in so that they get a chance? I think it's 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 a bit of a mixture of emotions, really. Um, just thinking back, you know, like when, you know, you're involved maybe in a pre-season tour or you've got a bit of a sniff and you're training with the first team every now and again, I think the only thing really you can do 
you know, from from a personal point of view, is train as hard as you can. You've got to always sort of, you know, leave everything out there and just do the best that you can and just hope that, you know, that that is, you know, deemed good enough or, you know, you, you, you're always hoping really. I mean, it's difficult being at a club like Man United and, and any other of the top clubs. They've got the disposal to bring in, you know, a conveyor belt of players, um, and and usually it's world class, class players, um, sorry, from around the world. So as a young player, it is quite disheartening at times because you're thinking, no matter what I do, no matter how well I play, no matter how many goals I've scored in the reserves or whatever, that there's always going to be somebody else who's who's coming in or you know next in line, if you like. So it is a little bit of a difficult one, but I think the only um, thing as I said you can do is you've just got to keep working hard you've still got to keep you know showing up well in, in if it's the reserves or whatever it is um and have the right attitude you've got to, I think that's the biggest thing really a lot of managers and a lot of clubs look at the younger players and think you know who's the ones who are you know just keep knuckling down not letting the, anything phase and they're still putting the effort in whether it's with the 23s or whether it's with the training with the first team you know, their attitude spot on away from the club, the way they, you know, uh, conduct themselves around the club and they are as people. And I think it's a, it's, it, you, you've got to be sort of the full package um, really to, to, to sort of get that uh, opportunity and, and want that, um, you know, chance of maybe getting in the first team. And again, it is a little bit of luck at times. You, you, you maybe need someone to get injured or, you know, maybe someone to, to sort of, you know, get sold and, and then they're a little bit light in that position and, and you may get an opportunity. I think that's a, a massive part of football, especially, you know, being at one of the top clubs, you, you always need that little bit of luck. I mean, you look at Marcus Rashford when he, he sort of stepped in when I think Marshall got injured in the in the warm-up. Um, you know, he probably wouldn't have played that game. You know, would that have happened? And, you know, he's took his opportunity. He's come into the first team and, and I think he scored, two, he scored two, didn't he, against Arsenal? Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that that was the making of him and he never looked back. And and sometimes that that little, you know, a bit of luck or that, you know, rub of the green, whatever you, you want to call it, is is what you need as a young player. And I think, especially at the top clubs, the, the opportunities are few and far between, whereas the lower you go down, there's, there's always more chance of you getting in or getting an opportunity because the budget's not there. You can't have, you know, players is coming in every transfer window, that kind of thing. So it's difficult and you've, you've just got to, as I say, you've just got to be strong. And, and as I say, you've just got to keep working hard and hope that that opportunity does come. I think there, as you said, there is a couple of lads there you've mentioned. Uh, Mane, who I think obviously Palestri for me is one who I think now is maybe leapfrogged some of the other players, you know, Sancho and people. I think if, if I'm 10 hard and I'm looking at, you know, who do I want on maybe on the bench to come on and change a game or, you know, make an impact off the bench. I think Palestri's overtook Sancho for me at this moment in time, going off the back end of last season and, you know, what I've seen in pre-season. I think he looks as though, you know, when he comes on or when he's got an opportunity, he looks to, you know, have the bit between his teeth and he looks more positive and he will, you know, drive with the ball and commit people and look to make things happen, which, you know, again... You know that that is what you want from from whether it's a young player or if it's a you know seasoned pro. That at the end of the day, I think this manager's proven now that no matter who you are, you know where you've come from, how much money you cost, if you're not producing and you're not performing, 
he he doesn't care and he won't you know bat an eyelid at, at dropping you or not putting you in the squad or moving you on because I think he's ruthless and he just wants the best for the club and, and Man United. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's refreshing. And also, fair play to the club for giving him the backing to that because, let's say, Mourinho, for example, didn't have that back in a crucial window. Um, Ten Hag has had it, he's making the decisions, like even if the player costs a lot of money and it's just, you know, for example, um, Maguire moving him on, Fred moving him on for relatively small fees, but... Um, just moving it on so United can make a clean break and the players as well, so they can sort of rebuild, start to rebuild the career and hopefully feel more positive about things. Um, a lot of questions coming in from Jay in particular. I'll just get to a few of them. First of all, he said Anvil is amazing. I think he'll break in with Kobe. Hopefully, I mean, I know a couple of Birmingham fans have talked about Hannibal and you know, wondering whether or not that's his level and. You know, he's got such talent. I'd like to see him get a chance. I, I would like to see him get a chance. Um, but I'm not sure um, about the top level of the Premier League. Cobby's um, got a different kind of temper- temperament. I think he really seems to suit that. And playing a different number of midfield roles, whereas Hannibal, it, what I mean by Co- Minu is he's there, he's present, and he's wanting the ball and showing for the ball, and you don't always get that with. Many midfielders really, uh, it's a difficult position to play, and you, you sort of praise that. Um, he says about any news on Greenwood. Now, I'm not going to throw um, Phil under the bus with this one. Um, I, I said this on Monday's podcast as well, not avoiding the topic of Greenwood. I know that there was a statement piled today by a group of um, the women supporters coalition or something like that. Um, I, I haven't looked that much into it because I've been writing all day. I just glanced on Twitter and I saw that something was gaining some traction. Club haven't made an announcement, and I don't want to be putting anyone in a position, and I don't want to put myself in a position where we're speculating over something that might or might not happen. So we'll comment on it once the decision's been taken and what we think, and I think that's the fairest way to yeah. deal with it. That's um, the best or, way. I think wait to the wait to the club to announce what they've got to announce, and then we can have our say on that afterwards. I don't think it's fair really to comment anything beforehand, as you just say. I agree with you when it's best to leave it. Um, so we do have um comments about um Tadebo. Um, Robbie says, I was all about you know Jay saying how many realistic signings you think United are going to make, any surprise signings. And so Robbie said Tadebo, apparently, United have got scouts at the game. Um, Jay says he's at the peak and other follows. Um, no Pavard for me, they're the two that have been mentioned on it, Pavard and. Um, Amrabat is the other one, the, the midfielder that might come in from foreign team. Um, I, I really don't know. I think that, that the first thing to say is that I think the three players that he's got so far, ten out of the, the key targets that he's wanted. Um, I'll answer this one quickly for you, Robert. Will you watch City tonight? No. Let's get back to um, the signings. Uh, Amrabat and uh, possibly Pavard. What do you reckon, Phil? Obviously, there are a couple of areas. If we are going to move on a lot of these players... Um, in the next couple of weeks, there will probably be a couple of senior senior positions short, so you would expect a couple of moves. But it does look, at least from the signs of it, like an Amrabat and like a Pavard. Whether or not we think they're the right person or not, it looks at least that there won't be panic signings, that they're players who have been identified quite early on. Yeah, I, I like Amrabat. I think he had a, you know, a really good World Cup. Uh, yeah. I think he, he he would certainly be um, a good addition. 
Um, Pavard. I mean, I, I like the uh, lad from City. Uh, from sorry, not from City. From Palace, the uh, the young lad. Um, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Is it Gay or Guy? The one who's yeah, yeah. yeah the, the lad who's been involved with uh, England. I think he's a really good player. I think obviously you know losing Maguire, um, maybe the manager would look at bringing maybe another defender in. Um, I think he's a, a good, good up and coming talent and would would fit the criteria really for um, what what he'd be looking for. Um, but yeah, as you say, I think the three signings that we have made are, are good signings, and as you've said, we're not um, rushing into anything and. and going for anyone that's you know not right for the club as i said another couple of additions would would be um good but i'm happy with you know the the way that we've conducted our business and we've gone about things in the transfer market so far um the only little bit of a downside for me was obviously i i was really hoping um for a for a harry kane just to you know really you know yeah. i mean i'm optimistic this year don't get me wrong and i think we, we are going to have a good season i think if harry kane would would have signed i think that puts us right in the mix on all fronts because you you know exactly what you're going to get um and as i said i, I think you know this young lad who signed this center forward is going to have a lot of pressure on him you know he's not he's not going to have a full pre-season because he's been injured um, and when he does come in, obviously, you know, Man United's number nine is, is always going to be in the spotlight. And, you know, for him to hit the ground running straight away is going to be difficult. And if he does sort of have a, you know, a little bit of a slow start, he's going to come under a lot of criticism and how will he deal with that? And so I think, you know, if we could have got someone like Kane through the door, would have took a lot of pressure off him. And as I say, you would have known exactly what he was going to get and would have made us a lot more... Um, well, it would have, it would have just give us that X factor that we have been missing. I think you know we've not had that number nine um, for a numerous few seasons now, where you you know exactly what you're going to get from the start of the season. You know, when I'm thinking back to your Van Nistelrooy's, your Van Persie's, your, your Andy Coles, you know exactly what you're going to get: 20, 25, 30 goals a season, and you know that ruthless. Um, efficiency in in the final third which i think last year obviously rashford stepped up to the plate had a great season and we're hoping that he can carry on with that and kick on and keep them numbers up um but you know it, it's still yet to be seen and yet to be pro- proven that he can do that on a regular basis so as i said you know that that is the only little bit of a um downer that i'm, I'm sort of putting on this transfer window so far yeah, and, and yeah, if, if you're not signing Harry Kane, it's not necessarily downer it because Harry Kane, do you know what I mean? It's, it's world class, one of the best strikers in the world. Um, that moves on to talking about Wolves who sacked the manager just before the game. And if, if you think that Wolves couldn't be any more frustrating to play against than they have been for the last few years, get them Bournemouth manager who likes to waste time as much as Wolves. So they said the average. Is um, I don't know, 40 odd, like 51 minutes or something of the ball being in play. If the new rules for applying wasted time on the end, I'm not expecting to leave Old Trafford before midnight on on Monday night. It's gonna be grim if if Gary O'Neill's uh, past reputations or anything to go by. 
Um, obviously, though, that all depends on the way that United um, start um, the game because they might blow Wolves away earlier on. And you know what, Phil? I've been thinking about this, and obviously it's a bad thing that Hoyland isn't fit to play. But at the same time, it's kind of like a little bit of an advantage because Garnacho didn't play the back end last season. Uh, there was a couple of games they missed out. And he was on the bench, wasn't he, for, for Wembley? And he didn't start the game. And it's like, oh, what are you going to do for in terms of bringing him on? Obviously, Rashford expected to be from the left if Hoyland's going to play and start. But Gardaccio has to have that opportunity. And this is the best way to sort of do it, really. Give him in from the start. Let him run. Let him try and nail down that position and create a good problem for United to have. Because what they need to have... What they haven't had, you said like they haven't had a dominating presence in the striker position, which is right, really. I know Ronaldo fl- flirted with that but in terms of like a long term prospect yeah. there. United haven't had that for a long time. And, and now it looks like they've got options in terms of saying, well, we're not just hoping, like Martial, for example, we're not just hoping against hope that he's going to deliver something. And, and you're pinning your hopes on something that's not really a long term prospect. Now you're looking at things where players are going to have to play themselves into the side. Like Sancho played some of the preseason as a false nine, and you're wondering where, whether or not he's going to play in those positions. Rashford is probably nailed on to start through the middle on Monday night. So that means Garnacho's pretty much nailed on to start from the left. And if you watch the Lawns game, I'm sure you did, or you've seen the extended highlights of it like, like I did as well, that... Anthony, Garnacho and Rashford together were unbelievable, especially with Bruno pulling the strings, were unbelievable. They were flying. And if they're going to show that kind of form, that is a really good problem for um, for 10 out of 12. So really, even though it's bad that Oiland's not playing, in a certain way, it's kind of like the best case scenario to start the season off with. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because as you say, it'll hopefully give Garnacho a little bit of a run in the team. Um and, and, you know, it's up to it. As I said, this, this is the, the same thing we've just been talking about. You know, like Rashford got his opportunity, um, you know, when, when Martial got injured, this could be now the, the real big opportunity for Ganacho to sort of, you know, grab it and, and keep his place and, and show why he should be in the team. Um, for me, he's really exciting. I think I love he's sort of no fear in the way he's just, you know, he'll drive past players and try and get to the byline and put balls in and, I like that, and I think that's what we've been lacking a little bit in the last couple of seasons. As we say, you know, the Sancho's and stuff, not saying they've not been playing well, but I think sometimes he's played within himself and not really sort of, you know, done what we was expecting in terms of, you know, the output and, and being aggressive in the final third, taking your man on, you know, getting past the man and just playing safe. And, I mean, the, the modern game has, has changed a lot. And I know it's more about keeping possession and, and, and all that kind of thing. But I still like, you know, the old school way of, you know, as a winger, can you get past your full back and get to the byline, whip a ball in, you know, be positive, drive into the box, make him commit a foul and, and get your shots off. So hopefully the, the front three, as you say, um, you know, start the way that the, the sort of played the other day against Lons and, and hopefully, you know, they, they can... You know, put a few goals away. I think it's a good good game to start against Wolves. I think, you know, when you look at opening day fixtures, obviously they've got a new manager, which can, could have um, 
a different effect of what it might have. But I think in terms of a start to the Premier League season, you look at Wolves, I think this year they will they will struggle. They've lost a lot of players and they've not really made many signings. Um, they haven't got that goal scorer anymore who, who you know will score a lot of goals. Jimenez was that about three or four seasons ago. Um, he's dried up and I don't really think... I think last season I looked at some stats on Wolves. I think the top scorer was someone who was on like four or five goals per dent or something like that. Um, so, you know, ideally you're hoping that we should, you know, get off to a good start there and, and you know, build confidence and, and try and take that into, you know, the coming weeks. Yeah. Um, well, we'll be back next week to talk about that. Obviously, I'll be back with um, Dave and Paul. On, on Monday to, to review the game. In fact, no, I won't this week because the game's on Monday. So, actually, we, we are skipping this week. So, it'll be Phil and I and hopefully Lee, if he's not called away on another job um, next next week uh, to, to review the game. And we'll be previewing Spurs, won't we? Spurs is the next game. And yeah. you can imagine that Spurs without Harry Kane. In Phil's ideal world, we will have gazumped Bayern at the last minute and we'll be talking about a gentleman's agreement to not play Harry at Spurs. I remember we did that when we signed Andy Cole, wasn't it? We signed Cole and we said we yeah. wouldn't play against Newcastle. Um, and then Mark Hughes got injured and Cantona was suspended straight after. So Cole just had to leave on there. Anyway, that's history, like 30 years history, um, which is making me feel old. So I'm going to go and um, drown my sorrows of age um, if you've enjoyed the show please give us a rating or review on the podcast provider that you listen uh, through if you're listening if you're watching back on YouTube give us a like and subscribe to the channel really really appreciate it and obviously this season as well as you'll have noticed if you're listening on the audio um, broadcast that we're now part of the Talk Sport uh, fan network which you know Phil Lee Myself, Dave and Paul, we all talked about at the start of the summer. We're all really buzzing to be involved in that. So you might be hearing us on other channels, um, the other fans as well. Um, appreciate everyone tuning in tonight, guys. Thanks for the questions. Um, we'll be back uh, next week. So stay safe, stay well, and uh, thanks for listening. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.